This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Mark. And we are now going to talk again about the Trinity. And we are hoping that this is uh, something that's been helpful to appreciate how vast it is, right? Um, I'm, I'm always admit you're not going to say anything. I, I, I'm nodding. See, I'm giving, nodding. You, I'm giving you visual support. And that, that was appreciated. Well, but I, I like the verbal. So you have too. a good co host. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, we are hoping that it's helpful. Um, I'm always amazed that I've heard a couple podcasts that did Trinity in one podcast in 30 minutes. I'm like, I don't know how you do that, but we're not. What number are we on right now? We're on like 29. Yeah, right? Okay. So there's that, and then there's what we do. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, well, it's welcome like, to Miss Your Day Fellowship right. okay. via oh the gosh. podcast. But no, we got some time on your hands. All right. So when you're dealing, though, with the Trinity, it's it's an infinite issue because we're dealing with God who is and 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 his essential nature. Uh, we're not talking about what God does, um, but it's actually just contemplating the person of God. And so you get into this mystery. And so one of the things that people don't always track with is that when we think about the gospel uh, or the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, whether we know it or not, we're actually thinking about the Trinity, though we don't grasp that. So when you start digging into the deeper into the essence of the gospel, all you really are doing is delving into the person of God. Um, here, here's some examples. Our, our salvation is not due to various parts of creation getting to work so as to bring us into a new life. Rather, it's actually the work of the triune God that accomplishes it. And and so the only, and only the triune God is at work. Uh, all we are are thankful recipients of that saving work. Uh, it's easy for us to look at our salvation from the perspective of its benefits because, let's face yeah. it, we're saved, right? Yeah. Uh, but if we stop there, we fail to see the real glory of the gospel, and that is that God is revealed, and he's revealing himself as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so the gospel message is that we are being called into an encounter with the triune God. In fact, we are what we are because the triune God acted on our behalf all so that we can know him. And if people can get that, um, it'll go a long way in helping them appreciate a lot about theology. Yeah. So we've been trying to break the Godhead down then into its different parts. And so last time we talked about God as Father um, and showed actually how the Bible consistently speaks of the fatherhood of God and how that impacts the Christian in very tangible ways. Um, and so what we want to talk about now is the Son of God as, as well and how the Bible describes him. And so uh, we'll just begin by making uh, a basic statement about the Son. Um, now, we considered already Old Testament passages that speak of God in triune ways. Um, and, and the key point in those passages as we were walking through them is that we saw uh, multiple times that Yahweh is talking to Yahweh. Right. And it's just this interesting thing that's taking place. Um, but he's talking to Yahweh's talking to Yahweh as a, as a separate person. Um, and what we discovered is that one of them is also eventually going to be this Messiah or this, this Christ who is to come in the New Testament. 
Um, and so in the New Testament, then the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus, this man Jesus, is considered the Son of God. Um, now, now the term or the phrase, the Son of God, is not used in the Old Testament, but it does carry on or, or pick up some of these Old Testament themes. Right. So with that in mind, when we're talking about the deity of the Son, what we're usually dealing with is the deity of Jesus Christ, right? That's where the people struggle. Um, if he's called the Son of God, then does that mean he's actually God? That's, right, that's what people are asking. Um, to put it bluntly, though, the, the New Testament is filled with references and examples of Jesus as God. We're not, we're not going to get into them all. Uh, there are so many, though. In fact, the more you study and the more you preach and read, you just see it everywhere. Um, but what people want is, well, I want to hear the Bible say Jesus who is the son of God, is God himself, or something like that. And that's not how the scripture is going to do it. Um, so here, O person of doubt, Jesus of the Bible is really, truly God. Well, good luck, but you'll never see it. So instead, what we're just going to do is take people through some key passages um, and have them think about it. So, Lena, you want to read the first one out of Matthew? Okay. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay, so obviously that's the one of the narratives of the birth, and it's a great one. It's filled with an incredible amount of theology. Uh, but you see some names or titles uh, given to Jesus. He's called Savior. He's called the Christ or the Messiah. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of Man. But the one that we're wanting to just point out is the one Emmanuel. And then it helpfully translates that for us. And it says, which means God with us. Not God sending us a son or something else, but God is literally with us. And so at the very beginning of Jesus's time on earth, already we have this clear declaration that God had come to visit man. And that's such a huge and wonderful thing that God was visiting his people. It was a, it was the whole idea of the uh, incarnation, a, a divine visitation. Um, another passage is in John 1, uh, verse 1 and also verse 14. Uh, do you want to read those? Yes. <laughs> or you not. Sure? I, I, just, I mean, I, hey. no, I'm good. Were you making memes? No, I'm not, no, I'm no, the, or, I, I was not making readers. memes. I'm the bad no, reader. I was looking at the good reader. Oh. I still haven't hired a reader. You get to read the next one, Mark. All right, thanks. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is such a simple yet complex passage that. Everyone fights over, though. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, take it away. Yeah. So, so obviously, we're looking at um, this great passage that is familiar to many. Um, but what's interesting is most religious Jews will also perk up when they hear the term uh, the word. They have mm -hmm. a, a pretty good theology of the word. Um, and so, by the time John had written his gospel, there had been much study and discussion on the concept or the phrase of the word of God. And also, the idea of wisdom in the Bible as being... Uh, personal or personified. You see right. that, for instance, right. in Proverbs chapter 8. 
Is um, it chapter eight? Yeah. I yeah. always say six, but I also am always wrong. Yeah. So I'll believe you. Yeah. Um, yeah, wisdom there's personified as, as being there actually before creation right. and was with God as he created. Yeah. So many actually pick up that um, personified wisdom in Proverbs 8 to be a reference to the second person of the Trinity. Um, I actually don't hold to that, but Gordon Fee did a pretty good uh, study on that one. But anyways, this idea of the word of God, um, the Jews had a good concept of that. Um, an example of this, for instance, is found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, where the Bible says, then God said... Um, and so the Jews saw that God's word was the agent by which he created the universe. And you got into that in one of your sermons, right? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to show the, the Trinity there. But yeah, the, the God speaking the word, right. that second person of the Trinity is, is the means through which creation came about. Um, another passage would be Psalm 33, 6, for instance, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by his breath. By the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Uh, in fact, over a hundred times the phrase, the word of the Lord came um, in reference is in reference to the prophets. Many of the Jews believe that this word, although not actually a person, was given in the Bible as almost this personal presence. It's so, personified. So they saw it, yeah. but they saw it without belief or right. faith. Yeah. Um, yep. So, so in here in John chapter one, we have three basic truths um, about the word. Um, who we know to be down in verse 14 subsequently as, as Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. Right. Um, so first, the word is, we see, is eternal. And you see that right away in the beginning of that verse. Um, in the beginning was the word. And the verse actually points back to a time. I don't know, you can't even use the phrase time, really. Nope. To a time before Genesis 1-1. Because time. <laughs> time's a created right. concept as well. So whatever was before time, even though I have to use a, a time word to describe that, the word in was eternity there. past. <laughs> sure. Um, which is still time. <laughs> still <but> yeah. time. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, so it points us back to a time before creation. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and so the verb was in that passage, in the beginning was the word. It's important to note uh, here because it doesn't give a sense of origin or being. It, it simply means continuous existence. The word always was. Um, in the beginning is being emphasized there in that, that passage. Um, second, the word had an intimate relationship with God, the father. Um, notice that. So in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. There's right. this intimacy there. Notice that in the verse, we don't see the word father. Um, that doesn't actually come till verse 14. When John writes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. Um, so the, the part of the verse is, it is hard to translate and bring out its richness of what's being said. But a literal translation would be the word was toward God. Right. Um, is it pros? Yeah, pros, with. Um, and so the idea there is intimacy with, with the two. There's a genuine fellowship. Um, but, but what's important to know is it's not a fellowship between a greater and lesser being, but a fellowship between two equals. Yeah, I, I think in a, when I did a sermon series on the Trinity, I actually said it, it's the idea of being face-to-face -face as equals. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so when when we're talking about the son, though, I'll just throw this in there. We're not we're not talking about him as, in some sense, a literal son, like we understand in humans, like they're creating um, sons. Rather, it's a theological term used to describe the relationship between the first and second person of the Trinity. Um, so, so the word wasn't subordinate to God. Um, Rather, the phrase there, the word was with God, is meaning that he's equal to him. He already existed as closely with God as possible without being mixed with God, 
which is... Yeah, but that's the crazy part about it, yeah. is that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, literally equal to him, but he's be, right there he's making him distinct from God, and we know the God that he's speaking of, I hate saying the God, right. uh, is, is the father of verse 14. So, right. so he's already creating that distinction between the two, and then he gives yeah. us this third point you're going to say that just... Yeah, Go, your head goes. Boosh. Yeah, this is where you have to yeah embrace this mystery. That's then, a theological thing. Yeah, Poosh. yeah. Um, so then, third, uh, you got the um, so in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and then third, the word is God, or was God, as it's translated. Um, and so, not only is he having an intimate and equal relationship with God, but in some way, he's also God himself. Um, yeah, I wonder he, why the Jews tried to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but once again, we see, as you were saying, two parts of the Trinity coming into view. Um, so to the Jew, who would have been the primary reader of this gospel, um, this is an earth-shattering statement. Um, Israel believed in one God, but as you've been saying, it, he, it failed to see the great mystery of who God actually was. Um, and so the way that John writes is truly, it leaves no room for debate. Um, you, 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 cannot, you can't try to say, as, you know, as a Jehovah's Witness would say, that the word was a God. Um, uh, it's just grammatically it doesn't make sense. You can't do it in the Greek there. Um, I actually, in preparing for this, I looked up, they have a really nice, I have to give it to them, uh, New World Translation online. Yeah. And you can go there and then it has all these study notes and explanations. They're mm -hmm. horrid. <laughs> but if you don't know anything, you could be easily persuaded, wow, that's that's really deep. Uh, but yeah, they, they try to make them into a God um, and... You can't do it, not not if you know Greek. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so John is a really important passage for understanding this. I actually like Don Carson's categories. Um, he says, um, in the beginning was the word. So there's this expression. Um, the word was with God. There's fellowship. And then the word was God. There's identity there. Ooh, that yeah. preaches. Well, Was that his sermon? Or is that just like some notes of his? No, I don't know. Biblical theology or something. That's clean. Yeah. Um, so, so that, yeah, John's a very important passage for understanding All right, the so Son is God. We also have another one. Mark, you want to do uh, John one eighteen? Yeah, I'll do that. All right. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Not a lot there to need to explain. Just, again, John is right away in that first chapter, he is just laying it down thick that, that the Word uh, was God. He became flesh, he dwelt among us, and here that no one has ever seen God, here again it would be the Father, um, but the only begotten God, not the Son of God or anything else, literally, the only begotten God is the one who has explained him, which gets into that whole idea of why people, uh, Jesus can say, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Mm -hmm. um, and elsewhere, Paul will pick that same idea up. But again, a, just a blatant statement of Jesus is God. Yeah. So that's also the verse we use to understand all appearances of God in the Bible are oh, actually yeah. Christ. So they're sure. Christophanies, not theophanies, we would yeah. argue. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I do always struggle when I hear people say it's a theophany in the Old Testament. Um, I, I know what they mean, but it's like, actually, it's a Christophany. It's an, actually, it's, it's an appearance of of the second person of the Trinity, because he's always the only one that you see. Except you pointed out something after your sermon this Sunday. Remember yeah. what you said about the oh, Spirit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Spirit, when he 
he descends in bodily form on oh, yeah, for sure. John the Baptist, and he's he's seen, he's made visible. So it's it's perhaps the only exception to that, um, the only time that God is seen, but not as the second person of the Trinity. That that one I never I never thought of it, and I've actually been thinking about that since we talked on Sunday about it. That was an excellent point. Yeah. The only yeah, I think you're right though. It's the only time, yeah, that's not the second person, right? It, so Isaiah six, that was Jesus. Okay. Well, it was the it was the pre-incarnate son. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, that's explicitly mentioned, as we'll see later in John chapter twelve. Um, but n- another one that people go to is like um, uh, Exodus thirty three eleven, where d- where Moses is talking with God face to face as with a friend. Um, I would argue that was the second person of the Trinity. And Jacob. Yeah. Any time yeah. you see it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Plus the, the whole passages of the angel of the Lord. We don't even get into this uh, in this uh, podcast, but the angel of the Lord is God, and it, that would be Christ. Mm-hmm. And yet it wasn't Jesus. No. Um, it, but but, but he took humanity. on a bodily yeah. form. I mean, to a point that he would eat. Right, right. Um, yeah. Fascinating. It, it, the more you delve into it, it really. you just start realizing when a person casually, flippantly says no, it's like you don't know your Bible at all. You've not done any reading. Right. Um, and really, you're speaking out of one ignorance, but two, just the hardness of an unbelieving heart. That's what you're really dealing with. It makes me, I know we can't know, but like in Luke, when he's 12 years old, you know, like, does he know oh, all of this uh, and Luke. remember all of <laughs> Jesus. this? Jesus. Yeah. In, in Luke, when Jesus is 12. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I'm like, like, does he remember? Well, well, he remembers Abraham. He must because he knows all things. And like all of those memories of being not incarnate, did he have those? It's Well, we, I mean, it also says that he grew in wisdom and knowledge and right. stature. Right. So we don't know. It's a giant mystery. Yeah. I, I think in one sense, his humanity, no, he didn't. He had mm-hmm. to learn. He had to grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in Hebrews, picks it up, right? He had to learn obedience. Yeah, that one is yeah an weird. amazing passage. And maybe we can ask our listeners. Let us know if you'd like to hear a podcast just on that the human yeah side of his nature, of the whole hypostatic union yeah. stuff. Because yeah, there's they, I'll promise them they'll be frustrated though because there's a lot of mystery, mystery. in there. But it is um, fascinating stuff. Yeah, but I think by the time he's twelve, he knew it. Yeah, I think that was the statement where he knew who he was. He yeah, he was saying understanding. I'm I'm about my father's. Yep. Right. Yeah. Okay. So another passage would then be John twenty, twenty eight and twenty nine. You want to read that? Thomas answered and said to him, "My Lord and my God." Jesus said to him, "Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those, or blessed are they who did not see me, and yet believed." Yeah. Okay. So this one is very common for people who just want to reject out of hand the divinity of Jesus to. Um, you know, justify this or rationalize it and say something along the lines is this is just, this is merely an idiom or a way of saying um, something that we don't understand in our current culture. Um, you know, we can't know what, what it means to Thomas to think that he is God, but um, so they... <laughs> I, what, cool. I, I, wrote, I wrote up, <laughs> when I was studying for this part, I, I was just shaking my head. They were killing themselves. To, well, we I don't know what it, we, what it says. We, yeah, they're like, well, we don't know what it means, but obviously it can't mean that because <laughs> Jesus wasn't God. So in some way, str- yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I forget you preached through John. He's yeah. a God. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
Yeah, other, so that's what some others will say. It's merely an exclamation, like, you know, sure. like mm-hmm. what a like a southern person might say, like, oh, my Lord, you know, it's a oh, hot day. Awesome. <laughs> you okay. know, or something like that. So, um, yeah, so Thomas is just looking and realizes Christ is risen. Oh, my Lord and God. <laughs> and he almost with a southern twang and then goes get some sweet tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, our southern listeners. Just- yeah, and then, so, and then, of course, Jehovah's Witness, they'll see both both of those, depending probably on who you're talking to. Um, but they'll also dismiss the fact that in Greek, the word for God possesses a definite article, which right, is huge, yeah. but the, they see it as yeah. the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Totally. They see it as totally unimportant. Um, but what's interesting though is, and obviously you point this out, but when they, when they talk about the same issue, meaning the definite article in John 1, 1, all of a sudden the presence of the article, there's Almost, yeah. Yes. It's very important yeah. for them all of a sudden. Yeah, it has to be a God because it doesn't have the definite article yeah. the. But now they come to this passage and, well, yeah, it has the word the in front of God, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, wait a second. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. you, you really need, they need better, better editors at their study notes. If they're going to lead people astray, they need to be should, more consistent. They should do it well, right. Um so, but, but the point here with this passage and what's important to see is when, I mean, he's calling him Lord, my Lord and my God. Right. I mean, there's no way around that. But what's important to understand then in light of that is nowhere at the declaration of Thomas there does Jesus correct him. Uh, he just simply accepts that. Um, and no one is like Jesus and there's no way he would allow that to pass if, right. if it was not true. Right. Yeah. He would, no way. Right. Well, yeah, even this when this happens to Paul, right? He tells him to, mm-hmm. you know, or compare what, what John might see. Um, or oh, yeah. in, um, when John sees a mighty angel in Revelation, he falls down to worship him, yep. but he's then rebuked. The same John who's writing the Gospel of John. Right. Yeah. So now we're going to get into uh, one by Paul, uh, Romans 9, verse 5. Whose are the fathers and from whom? So we're dealing with these relative phrases, from whom is the Christ, that's the Son, uh, according to the flesh, and then still dealing with that, another relative phrase, who is over all. So the whom is Christ and the who is over all are the same person. And that phrase is finished as God blessed forever. In other words, Paul is literally equating Christ as God. He is saying that he is the Christ, he's over all, he is God, Therefore, he's blessed forever. And that that's just an incredible thing. In fact, I diagrammed this one out in the Greek, and it's just an appositional statement. Do you want to explain or you want me to explain an appositional? It just... As opposed to oppositional. Yeah. Well, that's what most people think I say, <laughs> and it's like, no. Um, so, the whom is Christ, that phrase is in apposition to who is overall God blessed forever, uh, meaning they're equal. They're the one and the same. You could, it's just the one who is Christ is the one who is God. The one who is God is the one who is the Christ. Yeah, I would always translate appositional phrases with namely. Really? So so I would go um, in this one. So, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is overall, namely, God blessed forever. Boy, that brings that out nicely. So it's it's one and the same, yet there's a distinction. Yeah. uh, Well done. Well, I mean, do you know who you're dealing? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> Can I go home? Sure. Um, <laughs> let me go first. All right. So uh, Hebrews, Hebrews one eight. 
But of the sun, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Yeah, so here's another fascinating one. And it's a, it's a massive passage, obviously, because it's God speaking of his son. Um, but of the son, he, God or Yahweh, says, so the writer of the Hebrews here is, is quoting, I think it's Psalm 45, but of the son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. And so here we see Yahweh calling the son God and in one of the same also acknowledging the eternality of his reign right? as he quotes Psalm 45. Again, this kind of stuff's all over the place. And, and then there's a lot more subtle um, passages as well that as you start to look at them and think about them, you realize, wow, it's right there, even though you uh, first blush because it's not saying Jesus is God. Um, you you can miss it. Uh, so those are passages that overtly speak of Christ as God. Now what we want to do is quickly go over a few more passages where it shows them to be equal with God, right? right. Um, now we've already seen some, but uh, there it's built into the verbiage. But here we'll look at a few different ones. So can you read uh, the Second Corinthians four four? Yeah. All right. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so the key passage or phrase there, or actually term, is the word image, um, icon or acon. Uh, we get mm-hmm. the word icon from it, um, and it just means image. Uh but it means a visible representation or a manifestation of a heavenly form or reality. That's a mouthful, but that's what it means. So it's it's a heavenly form or reality that you can see. Um, now we have Satan here being called the god of this world because he's the false god of the world. Um, in fact, behind every idol, every false religion, every bit of worldly philosophy, um, will lie the person of Satan and his deceptions. Yeah. And, what, and he's here, show, it show, Paul's saying he is actively working to blind the minds yep. of the unbelieving, which is powerful because the Bible already says that we are blind right. ourselves, spiritually blind. And so it's this double blindedness. I mean, so men and women who cannot see the glory of Christ are then blinded a second way by the God of this world. And the whole purpose of it is so that he can obscure the glory of Christ, who is the true right. God. What, when you look at Christ, you are not seeing just like an idol. You're not seeing a badly written picture. You're seeing the literal image of God, mm-hmm. the invisible God in the person of Christ. And so uh, this is why he wants to obscure it, because when you see Christ, then you've seen right. that God. Right. Yours the next one. Oh. Uh. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a well-oiled machine here. Right. Colossians 115. Fired on all three tonight. Uh, from the New American Standard. Uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's my favorite passage in all of Scripture, and you just stole it from me. So you want to read that for us? Someone had to step up to the plate here. <laughs> right. That's, Mark, you all, I mean, you're always good to fill in the gaps, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's about all I'm good for. So. Yeah, so Colossians 1.15, and through 20, what it, it's uh, commonly referred to as the Christ hymn. Um, it's fact, a great passage. Yeah, in fact, likely Paul was, this was an early him or something the early church sung and Paul is picking up on that and inserting it here in Did Colossians. you preach on this? Um, this was actually my 
Uh, I did a Christmas sermon maybe I have years I don't and years and years ago, and I had way too much fun in it. <laughs> it, yeah. it was just what a incredible passage. Yeah. But. So, um, <laughs> and he, yeah, it's so rich. But and he is the image of the invisible God. So that's the same Greek word, akon. Um, and so it's telling us that Christ shares with his Father the essence um, and the nature of his very being. Um, and therefore, he alone is able to display and reveal God to man. Right. Um, so similar to what you were just saying, um, you know, and as we saw in John one eighteen, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or literally exegeted him. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, that's another clear passage that I think is helpful in that. And then we, we'll jump down. I don't, do you think he, uh, Paul wrote Hebrews? No. Me neither. <clears throat> I do. Just kidding. Uh, your dad does. I, I know he does. I grew and up had, thinking Paul uh, we, wrote we, Hebrews. We, he and I had a fun discussion about that. Um, he, he was. De- I think that the man that wrote it was definitely a under the influence of Paul. Mm. But um, so you don't think it was um, Apollos, Priscilla? Yeah, I was going. I was just going to bring that up. Is that then Come everybody on. jumps in and says, "Well, I think it could have been Priscilla." I'm like, why? Because we want to be. I know, I know. And it's got nothing to do with anything other than the modern feminist kind of... it's so bad. I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, it could have been, but I thought it was Joey. I thought it was Dorcas. (laughs) Dorcas? Dorcas. That could have been. Actually, there's a lot lot of emphasis on Dorcas being the writer. It's Rhoda, the girl that left Peter at the gate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We actually joked about naming one of our daughters Dorcas. It means beautiful. I know, but my wife wanted to name a daughter uh, Delilah. Oh, no. And I said, no, no. She's like, I know she was a bad woman in the Bible, but it's a beautiful name. I'm like, no. I said, I'm a pastor. I'm not going to say, here, meet my daughter Delilah with her sister Jezebel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't have to name Delilah and Jezebel. Oh, my goodness. We got Gomer over here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got a little Rahab in there somewhere. Well, that's the one I actually, I said, so, I mean, Lydia could have been Rahab. Mm. You know, just She's if, Lydia, though. I said, we might as well Praise name God. our son Ju- uh, Judas. <laughs> yeah. Distributor of purple fabrics. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she was rich, though. So, anyhow, back really to on this. Topic. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, Mark. I got that one for you. Oh, that's my other and favorite one. <laughs> Lena. Ahead, Would you but, like to read it? No, yes. Lena. Lena, go ahead and read it. Okay. <laughs> she <the> squeaks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like it's so giddy to read this. Like, oh, He's the radiance of his glory and the exact you. representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah, so a great passage. Um, here... It, it, that term, he is the radiance of the Father's glory, is the thing that you want to think about. Um, in John 12, we actually talked about, made reference to this earlier. In 1241, uh, it talks about seeing the glory. Isaiah saw the glory of God, and it's referencing that Isaiah 6 passage. Um, but Jesus says, what you saw was me. Yeah. Not my glory yeah. per se. You saw me. Um, and, and that word radiance, um, a more proper, precise word is effulgence. 
which is not real helpful, is it? But it's a great word. I get word. the full meaning now. Can, can, you, can you say that? <laughs> Effulgence. Is a, Effulgence. Try it, Mark. Effulgence. I actually practiced that numerous times just so I didn't mess up. Effulgence. Try it. What if it's effulgence? Effulgence. What if you're British and you're like, it's effulgence. The effulgency. I don't know if they say it that I, way. You know what? You probably, who knows? Who cares? Oregon. Um, anyhow. Oh, my gosh. Now, yeah. it's not helpful, but it, it's, here's the point. <laughs> Shush. <laughs> I'm trying to teach you. Totally lost the point. So, about the effulgence or the radiance. Oh, man, they're giggling. Um, this is what, I, I can't work like this. <laughs> you need your fishy? Yeah. Tap water is not sufficient for you. I need sparkling water. Oh, gosh. Specifically from Ethiopia. Anyhow. Ambo. Ambo. Oh, I miss my ambo. Anyhow, effulgence. It, it means this. It means a flashing forth of light or a flashing forth of glory. Um, you still say, I still don't see the point. Well, it's this. If you were a prophet, you would never say that out of your own being comes the very glory oh, of God. Sure, yeah. It never comes from you. Sure. Um, the only thing a prophet could ever say is at best is he is a reflection yeah. of the glory, but not the actual source of that glory flashing forth. Uh, the only one that can say that is Christ. And so a prophet at best can say, I can function like a moon, right? Mm -hmm. Reflecting yeah. the sun's glory. But I would never say I am the sun's light itself. Only the sun can say that. Well, in this sense, only Christ can say it because he is God. So again, a more subtle one, but it's there once you spend the time thinking about it. Um, He's also, though, here described as um, the character of, he, well, the way the New American Standard translates it is the exact representation, but it's the, the word we would get uh, for character. And, and again, it's an exact representation, a precise reproduction. Uh, but what's kind of fun in that one is if you go into uh, Exodus 20, verse 4, which is uh, the second commandment, it says you cannot make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath it or in the water under the earth. Uh, that, that idea of making an idol, um, it doesn't come out in the more modern translations, but the King James uh, says you shall not make unto thee any graven image. Mm -hmm. um, that word, character, uh, it comes from a tool for engraving, which is what a graven image is. It's, it's been engraved. And so to make anything as a representation of God was forbidden because nothing could do so. All things ultimately fall short, which is why we were arguing you can't say that the Trinity is like the three-leaf clover, yeah. right? But, but with Christ, he's the exception to the rule because he alone is the true graven image of God. He is the only one that can say, I am the image of God, because he is God. Anything else would fall short. Anything else would be idolatry. But because he is God, he is truly that true exact representation, which is why from him flashes forth the glory of God. It's a fascinating passage. Yeah, it truly is. Yeah. So, um, just to bring this to a close a little bit, um, there's several ways that we could deal with this subject. Uh, it's vast, it's large, but... Um, you know, one would be to look, for instance, at several times in the Old Testament where it makes reference to the angel of the Lord, as we've already talked right. about. Um, th those are clear references to the angel actually being God. And again, picking up on that, we're going to argue that that was um, Christ himself. 
you know, we could also point you back to Old Testament passages and New Testament passages that are specifically Trinitarian, uh, which we've already done. Um, but this is sufficient, we think. Um, and so if a person's wanting to make an honest investigation on how the Bible describes Christ, the only conclusion that they could come to, we think, is that he is seen as God. Uh, he is God himself. But also that the Bible treats him um, not only as God, but also as a father in God, um, and that there there is only one God. Thank you.